A reading from the Gospel of Mark. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told her about him at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. There he prayed. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighbouring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went through throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. The Gospel of Mark is a great story. And like all good stories, there are characters in it who know things. And then there's the readers who know more things. That is, we know more about what Jesus said he was going to do than the people in the moment that it was happening to them. We know that the author of this gospel has told us, the readers, these extraordinary claims about this person, Jesus, that he would produce, he would bring good news. He would make, if you like, an official press release, because that's what the word meant in the ancient world, He would make an official press release about something that would be beneficial and change everything in the entire empire. Because that's usually the emperor that makes those kinds of statements and it's usually good, at least for some people, but not necessarily for every people, for everyone, presumably not that good news if you were one third of the Roman Empire population who happened to be slaves. And it's strange that we know this, but remember the characters don't know this. This is happening to them around them, but they don't know these claims at this point. They don't know what they mean. But here we get a real glimpse in these few verses of the way the world is supposed to be. Not unlike the psalm that Richard read, not unlike the Judy Chicago poem, When All Things Will Merge. The idea of the world as glorious, as wonderful, as a place we really want to live in and be at home in. Not unlike Banksy's pulling back the concrete wall to see what the world should be like. A paradise. We know about this because we dream about it. We want a world where everyone is well. We want a world where everyone is healed. We want a world where everyone lives with life and love and dignity 
And this gospel tells us this is the world God wants. And there's stuff in this little reading that we might miss because we don't live in the same culture as the first century Near East. It says that Jesus took this woman, whose name we don't know, which is classic for the period. Women were not first class citizens. But Jesus took this woman by the hand, which is outrageous because here's a woman, here's a woman, here's nobody's supposed to touch a woman, particularly nobody who, somebody who is not related to this person. But he ignores that and takes her by the hand. And certainly, this is actually happening on the Sabbath, which is the Jewish holy day, still is. You shouldn't do any kind of work, you shouldn't do any kind of healing, as we discover later that Jesus gets into trouble for, on the Sabbath, because that's the special holy day. It's weird that you can't heal people, bring people to wholeness and goodness on a holy day, but that's the way things had gotten. But Jesus ignores that. He ignores fundamental rules about the way the world is supposed to work and does something completely different. And then she gets up and begins to serve everyone, which is work, and you shouldn't do work on the Sabbath. She somehow gets infected by the same disease as Jesus and ignores the rules. She just gets up and serves. Now, the, the new world, whatever it is that Jesus means by the good news, the new world breaks down the old rules, the old certainties, the way things are supposed to be. And the new world, which doesn't seem to take any account of gender, you know, women are supposed to be like this and men are like this, no account of that. No account of ethnicity, no account of people's sexuality or any other kind of barriers that we put between people. Here right at the beginning it's already breaking down and ignoring those things. But this is also a story of a woman being restored to community. Because we, we don't like the idea that as soon as she gets better, the first thing she does is get up and start serving everybody food. I'm sure there's a number of people in this audience who found themselves, particularly women, in that situation. Uh, let's ignore that bit. Only because this is not about her serving food. This is about her becoming who she is supposed to be in the world. She's the senior woman in this household. And in the first century, the senior woman is the great hostess. The one who's supposed to welcome the strangers and everyone else who's coming in for the great hospitality, which is central to Middle Eastern culture even today. She is being restored to her true role. Now, our true role for women today, hopefully, is not as restrictive. We're still not very good on, you know, actually paying women what they're worth and all that, but, you know... But here, this is about restoring a woman to her role in the community, about re-honouring who she is. That's what's going on here. Community is restored. But not just for her, <coughs> for everyone. Because after sundown, all these people turn up. The whole city is gathered. Capernaum was a fairly big town uh, for the day. They were all gathered, according to this, and they were there after sundown. They were there after the Sabbath was over. Think about this. You're sick. You're possessed with demons, and we can talk about that in a minute. And you have to wait 
until the special rules are right before you're allowed to have wholeness. What kind of culture does that? What kind of culture says to people, we have these rules, we know you're sick, we know you're in need, we know you're desperate, but you've got to wait your turn. What kind of culture locks people up for year after year after year because they arrived here as refugees? Because we have these rules. What kind of culture releases some of those people, as we're discovering in our community here at the moment, into the community with no support, no access to Medicare, nothing at all, and says, oh, go out and get a job in the current climate? What kind of culture has these kinds of rules that are so important that we're willing to do damage to people while they wait? Oh, and by the way, if you are waiting for a job, we're going to cut your benefits back to the bone. What kind of culture would do that? What Jesus is on about is restoring the whole community. The whole city turns up, everyone starts to get healing and wholeness. And we have to say something about this, and I'm sorry if this sounds a bit like a lecture, but we don't know what we're talking about if we don't look at this when Jesus talks about healing and demon possession. We understand possession in the sense that we know people, and maybe we are those people sometimes, who are so possessed of a certain thing that it, it, it distorts our life. You're such a perfectionist that nothing is finished until it's absolutely perfect and it distorts your life. Now, some people are so psychologically driven by that that they really are damaged. We may know them and we may feel ourselves to be kind of on the edge of that sometimes when we're not in a really good mentally healthy state. Well, people are possessed by greed. You may wonder what drives people in their late 80s, such as certain media tycoons, to keep gathering more and more. You might wonder what that would be about. We know what possession is. And we know what sickness is too. It, it's we, for us, it's about the malfunction of our organism, which we ask trained people to fix. But in the first century, whilst those things are true, what's really at, at, at the heart of it is people who are sick and what we call demon, what the Bible calls demon-possessed, are people who are outside of community. And in fact, what's most important in the first century is, is your state of being in community, your state of welcome, your state of honour, your state of respectability in community. That's far more important than your physical ability to act and to function in the normal way. So they were focused, we're focused on restoring people's ability to do things. And in fact, some of our medical model is so medicalised that it's focused on your physical body. And sometimes you think when you go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't seem that interested in me as a person, just in the fact that I've got a kidney or I've got a knee, as if that was somehow the only thing. But the world for the first century was about how you restore the ability to be present in the community, much more so than it was about your ability to function and do things. The world of God, according to this little vignette here, right at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, is about restoring honour, it's about restoring dignity, 
And of course the worst part of poverty is the loss of dignity. It's something we think about all the time here with work at Hope's Cafe and the Spire community and goodies. Is how do we help people who are down on their luck? People who are really struggling for all kinds of reasons without it seeming like they kind of have to come in through the servant's entrance or they have to take a number and wait. How can we do this? And, and it's a constant battle trying to think through. How do we do it where we're restoring and honouring people's humanity and respect? And it's not easy and we don't get it right. We haven't got it right at the moment. At least that was our feeling last time we, we talked about this this week. But the world of God is about restoring and building community. It's about making it the place that Judy Chicago's poem was about. That's what this little vignette Oh, and there's one more thing too. Jesus has enough and goes away by himself. There's so much going on. The entire, the entire city is present, according to the text, and he goes away to be by himself. That's part of community too. The ability to be alone without being lonely. We have an epidemic of loneliness in the Western world. It's becoming the single most important issue to be dealt with um, by the psychological uh, agencies and the... the um, I can't remember what it's called now, the, the manual of psychological terms in psychiatry, that manual. They're trying to figure out how do you write loneliness into that because that's the thing, the epidemic that, that doctors are, are increasingly seeing. So there's a lot of loneliness, but there's also an enormous amount of distraction with social media and with, um, with the wired and wireless world in which we live. How do you live with all of that and to be okay being alone. Maybe that's a part of community too. Maybe that's a part of the world of God is that you can be alone by yourself. Blaise Pascal, the 16th century um, uh, French uh, philosopher and mathematician, said the world's problem all stem from a man's, and he meant a human being's, inability to sit alone in a room. I thought that's a very interesting quote. All of humanity's problems, I'll read it exactly so I've got it here. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Go away and think about that for a while, eh? But it's that idea of our restlessness, our inability to feel like we're, we're a part of something, that we've always got to be doing something, we've got to be fixing something, we've got to be out there, we've got to be known, we've got to be on social media, otherwise if I don't get any likes on my Instagram post, I won't, some of you won't know what even I'm talking about, but anyway, um, it, it, I, I, nobody will know who I am, I won't be a real person in the world. How do you be alone? Just in this little passage is another glimpse of what it would mean to live in the beautiful world, in the best world, in the world where you are known and honoured in the community of the people around you and that gives you the peace and the patience and the grace to, when it's appropriate, close the door, be alone, to meditate and contemplate. Well, we know that doesn't last long for Jesus and that's not for today, but it goes on, it goes on. But that's good. That'll do. Let's stop there. Thanks, Matthew.